Hi Bother Brigade, here's what's bothering me today. It's finally time, sorry it's now like a week into April, but we are finally doing the Sunday sum up of all the good news that happened in March that we might have missed. Now, for starters, like there was some more, like just in broad terms, unionization pushes at uh, Starbucks and a few other places. And one of those we're going to talk about today. But I just wanted to say that like, you know, stuff like that is still happening. So yes, March was a very rough month as everyone is very familiar with, but there was some good news that happened in terms of unionization, positive developments, instances of justice. So let's actually go through it and kind of remind ourselves that we are getting some victories here. Greg Kassar, a Democratic Socialist, has won his primary in an Austin to San Antonio U.S. House district, where he's all but certain to prevail in November. And that wasn't the only good kind of Democratic Socialist or just vaguely left-wing kind of positive news that we got from Texas that month. In South Texas, Democratic Socialist Jessica Cisneros looks headed to either an outright victory or a runoff against nine-term Congressman Henry Queller. And that's objectively good. Now, like, they say it's all but certain, but as we've seen with election interfering before, it's like, you know, eh, it's a little dicey these days, but still positive developments, especially in Texas, because my open disdain for Greg Abbott is well documented at this point. So I'm really hoping that these two actually pull off wins. Will they be perfect candidates for everyone? No, like even my thoughts on electoralism is kind of like one of many tools in the toolbox. It's not an all or nothing kind of thing. So, eh, but still really good to see that there have been positive left-wing developments in what's a very well-known and powerful red state. So this is a good development in my books. And another good development has to do with uh, something on the other side of the country. We won by a vote of 88 to 14. The workers at REI Soho voted to become members of the RWDSU, despite all the union busting. Wow. Yeah, it turns out an outdoor equipment co-op decided to unionize. So yeah, even the New York Times has decided to report on it, and apparently it's a Manhattan store, and it's created the first union at the prominent outdoor equipment and apparel retailer. So it's not just Starbucks, and it's not just, you know, the, you know, mountain of a fight that's coming up with Amazon, but it's showing that, again, as we've probably hopefully seen over the various other episodes of this so far, we've kind of seen a trend of you know people beginning to strike and push back and demand better wages from their employers so if there's any good to have come from this pandemic it's at the very least that and it's not just in say one branch or one sector it's clearly a broader movement which is really good best of all that wasn't the only good news to come out of new york city Breaking, New York Times tech workers just voted to unionize, forming the largest tech union in U.S. history. Yep, in fact, there was even a Reuters article about it. So even within media, like mainstream legacy media that has obviously been a kind of purveyor of capitalist messaging for nearly its entire existence, right? They are still having elements, at least, of their workplace unionize and so it's a sign right that this is something bigger than just one state one fight one you know strike movement somewhere there's clearly something going on and of course the media itself is reticent to talk about that because then more people might think 
well, Jesus, they're doing that and they're succeeding. Well, why can't we? And in whatever part of the state, you know, red state, blue state, east, west, in the middle, like, let's do this. And that would be bad for capital reasons. But enough about positive strike actions and unionization efforts. Let's actually, and well, really, those were all just unionization efforts. Um, but... There's also been a very long overdue, but incredibly positive development with regards to uh, separating families at the southern border. Today, the court sided with our client. A federal court ruling will prohibit the government from using public health authorities like Title 42 to deport families seeking asylum at our borders. So it's a huge win for human decency, basically, and it's long overdue. Still a win, however, because for those who maybe forgot or are unaware, Title 42 was the really grotesque thing that uh, America was using to deport families because Title 42 basically just says that um, the U.S. government or like public health authorities can remove or kick someone out of the U.S. if they recently came from a place where there is a communicable disease present. So they've used this before of like, oh no, we know there's a malaria outbreak. So no, back to, you know, Africa or Latin America, you go, bye. And recently they were, of course, using COVID-19 as the excuse. So, oh, nope, you know, I know we're letting it rip here in America, but uh, it's different for us. You know, we have different rules than you do or that we're holding you to. So anyone coming in from Mexico was basically, or, you know, from elsewhere in Latin America, the U.S. was using Title 42 to basically say, nope, sorry, whether it's COVID-19, malaria, you know, dengue fever, depending on, you know, other corners of the world that people are coming from, they were saying, nope, you know what, that's it, so you got to go back, which is, you know, if someone's legitimately fleeing, because again, asylum is not illegal, if someone is fleeing actual persecution and sending them back does harm, that's against international law. We've kind of all agreed, at least in principle, to uphold to that. So that was really scummy of the U.S. to do. And now a federal court is basically agreeing, saying, yeah, that needs to stop. So positive news. And also right on the border in the state of New Mexico, there was another really good, like, again, not, you know, 100% we're in a utopia now, but still a really positive step in the right direction with regards to education. New Mexico's governor just signed a bill to make college tuition free. New Mexico Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham signed on Friday Senate Bill 140, otherwise known as the New Mexico Opportunity Scholarship Act. First introduced in 2019, the plan will waive tuition for any students attending any in-state public school or tribal college, including community college. So that's pretty good. Like, yes, you know, you still have to pay for books and there's other costs associated and it's still only for like state colleges and community colleges. So, you know, not 100% great, but definitely a step in the right direction that provides uh, a much easier way for more people to access post-secondary education, which is one of the best things for people, communities, uh, long-term health of like individuals and communities, states, your nation. Like investing in education is one of the best investments you can make. So again, not perfect, but still a really good positive development and a much needed step in the right direction. And while basically March was full of nothing but bad news about COVID, there was some good research that came out of Columbia University. New type of ultraviolet light makes indoor air as safe as outdoors. 
A new type of ultraviolet light that may be safe for people took less than five minutes to reduce the level of indoor airborne microbes by more than 98%, a joint study by scientists at Columbia University of Vigelos College of Physicians and Surgeons and in the UK has found. Even as microbes continued to be sprayed into the room, the level remained very low as long as the lights were on. The study suggests that far UVC light from lamps installed in the ceiling could be a highly effective passive technology for reducing person-to-person -person transmission of airborne-mediated diseases such as COVID and influenza indoors and lowering the risk of the next pandemic. So why isn't this much bigger news? Like that, if you know, that can be replicated in various different settings, whether they're, you know, residential or office based, that would be amazing because then regardless of people's stance on vaccination, vaccine mandates, stuff like that, that could kill the vast majority of germs through a passive technology, which could reduce all the related problems in terms of hospitalizations, people off from work, this would be a fantastic development and i had to find out about it from a goddamn tweet and again crucially even as more microbes were you know sprayed into the room right so that's basically scientific jargon for if people are not masking just kind of <coughs> yeah um, yeah it's fine uh, <coughs> you're a dummy like while spreading the microbes through whatever means right so long as the lamps are on, it can still reduce the viral load. Like, that is amazing. Legit amazing. So why aren't we talking about it more? Between, like, proper, like, air filtration, like, getting air filters for, you know, schools, businesses, our homes, cracking open windows, etc. This on top of that, that, like, it's it goes back to one of those things I said a while ago, right? About how we learn to live with certain diseases by, you know changing our hygiene habits because of the evolving new science and also rebuilding sewers and expanding sewers right like that's kind of how we prevented the outbreaks of diseases that are technically still around but because we created infrastructure to deal with them we can basically go around like yeah whatever cholera doesn't really exist in the west anymore because we made the changes so that cholera doesn't bother us anymore this is what we need to do to address covid19 and I'm hardly hearing anything about it. So, um, maybe let's change that. Just reach out to people and say, hey, here's a thing we could maybe start doing. Yes, I know more research is needed, but this is an incredibly positive development and I am so 100% here for it. And then in kind of like, not exactly great news, like it was good to see, but the end result was still kind of a problem. Uh, we had a pleasant surprise where the governor of Utah vetoed an anti-trans sports bill. The Republican governor of Utah vetoed a trans sports ban yesterday. Here is part of a letter that he wrote explaining his decision. 75,000 high school kids participating in high school sports in Utah. Four transgender kids play in high school sports in Utah. One transgender student playing girls sports. 86% of trans youth reporting suicidality. 56% of trans youth having attempted suicide. Four kids and only one of them playing girls sports. That's what all of this is about. Four kids who aren't dominating or winning trophies or taking scholarships. Four kids who are just trying to find some friends and feel like they are a part of something. Four kids trying to get through each day. Rarely has so much fear and anger been directed at so few. I don't understand what they are going through or why they feel the way they do, but I want them to live. 
And all the research shows that even a little acceptance and connection can reduce suicidality significantly. For that reason, as much as any other, I have taken this action in the hope that we can continue to work together and find a better way. If a veto override occurs, I hope we can work to find ways to show these four kids that we love them and they have a place in our state. I recognize the political realities of my decision. Politically, it would be much easier and better for me to simply sign the bill. I have always tried to do what I feel is the right thing regardless of the consequences. Sometimes I don't get it right and I do not fault those who disagree with me. But even if you disagree with me, I hope this letter helps you understand the reasons for my decision. Sincerely, Spencer J. Cox, Governor. Now, unfortunately, there was a veto override and the ban went through. But that was still a really positive thing to see from a governor to kind of just speak sense to all the crazies out there to say, really, like, like, here's the actual numbers, right? So like facts don't care about your feelings, people, right? And also all this hate directed at literally enough people that you can count on one hand in the state of Utah. That is just such a grotesque thing to think about that so much of that hate from millions of people being drummed up around the nation and around the world directed at five kids just trying to be themselves and to exist and be accepted and they can't manage that all that hate all that vitriol for five kids the governor is absolutely right there and you know it's a rare day when i agree with a republican but he's right there to, you know, push back on that and say, hold on a second. This is kind of obscene and ridiculous. So good for him. It's still a shame, however, that the ban went through. But it's a positive story and I wanted to include it here because it shows that, you know, maybe there is a bit of hope for some people. And that some people are still showing some kind of sense and human decency in the world. And that should be celebrated and admired that there's still enough of that in the world, including surprisingly from people who normally would expect who would have just signed this automatically but again in other positive news we actually have a little bit of something from europe huge victory for sex workers in belgium where early this morning at 1 35 a.m the federal parliament voted in favor of rights affirming legal reform with 74 41 abstentions and just four against this victory is the culmination of many years of work by sex workers and allies in the difficult context of the COVID pandemic. Belgian lawmakers clearly rejected the failed Swedish model and listened to sex workers. While we await further details, we are delighted at the progress made and joined in the celebrations of our members and allies. We will soon share a more detailed statement on the law reform and how it benefits sex workers in Belgium. So there we go, some positive sex worker news and like... There's not exactly a lot of that, and we can't even really get into the Swedish model because that's probably something that would be its own subject. And if anything, you should talk to actual sex workers in Sweden about that because there's like various models, right? There's the Dutch model, the Swedish model. There's now apparently going to be the Belgian model. So it's a whole thing that would be far better served in its own video with a lot of actual research and talking to sex workers, which is not what we have the time and space and energy for here today. But still, positive news to see from Belgium with basically the majority of people in agreement with it. Yes, there was a bunch of abstentions, but even if they had voted against it, that's still clearly a majority of the legislature. This is 
good news. No further details on like what this means and if it may be watered down in the future, but at least in principle, it was a positive development for sex workers and their rights and protections in the nation of Belgium. So here's hoping that it actually ends up working and people see, oh, you know what? That's clearly the better way of doing it. And then other people begin to copy it and the world gets a little bit better and brighter. And now we also have a little bit of good news with regards to students, or at least uh, grad students specifically. The tireless work of the graduate students has paid off. Despite major opposition, we have convinced enough of the University Council to vote yes and commit Virginia Tech to providing a livable wage for all grad students. We did this and we did it together, so fucking congrats to us. Yeah, so apparently grad students, uh, I guess when working within the context of the university council and like as faculty, teachers, assistants, whatever it may be, now their paid positions are going to be guaranteed a livable wage. So that is a positive thing to see. Uh, if this can be replicated in other universities, power to them. So here's, you know, maybe, I don't know, share this news around and tell more people about the good news that actually happened in March that the media is definitely not going to report on. And maybe if you're a student, wink, wink, um, talk to your other students and say, hey, so like, here's a thing that people did that we could possibly do and replicate and uh, maybe make it the new Starbucks thing so that there's a national push for grad students to get livable wages. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing ideas out here. And then finally, the cherry on top of the month of March with good news that I basically saw almost nowhere, except for a little bit on the day it came out, was the following. Jury awards 14 million US dollars to George Floyd protesters in Denver. Yeah, a jury found that Denver police were way too brutal on protesters protesting for justice in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. And as a result, uh, they also determined that they violated their constitutional rights and the police just looked absolutely terrible because, you know, they are a cab, right? And so now the city of Denver has to pay $14 million to the 12 people who sued them. Now, I encourage everyone to actually read that article because it goes into a bit more detail, but there is one point I want to kind of challenge them on, which again speaks to the problems with media. Lawyers involved believed it was the first trial in a lawsuit challenging officer tactics during the 2020 protests that erupted around the nation over the police killing of Floyd and other black people. Detroit Will Breathe exists, and we've talked to them, and we've mentioned them before in their own dedicated video on this channel, about how they basically created a mass movement against the police and basically got a restraining order against the cops. So, like, in some ways, this is kind of the first of its kind, but in other ways, not. So, you know... Take this energy from both of these stories, both the older Detroit Will Breathe one and this newer one in Denver, and run with that. This is how we can actually get some proper, you know, justice, and maybe the city kind of reigns the police in a bit. And also, as the article mentions in the, like, uh, paragraph just above that one that I read, was that the jury was actually pretty white. It was like two men, six women, and again, they were, I think they were all white, and they were from around Colorado, so it wasn't just like... A bunch of yuppies in Denver, right? And they still said, oh no, based on what we've seen and heard, the police are absolutely in the wrong here. City should pay out these uh, people who are suing them. Which is, you know, a surprising, but again, welcome development. And so again, that's kind of where I want to end this on is we have like, what, 10 or so very good, 
positive developments that happened over the course of March. Now, I know that March was again a terrible month in a variety of ways, right? We didn't mention the terrible climate news that came out or the fact that all the horrors that were and are unfortunately continuing in Ukraine right now. All the various different problems and abuses in the anti-trans bills. Like, yeah, there was still so much terribleness in March that was making people feel understandably and rather rightly down in the dumps and depressed. And not to take away from that, right? This isn't that kind of toxic positivity of like, well, look, you know, there's like some good stuff. And if we just focus on that, the world will be all sunshine and rainbows. Like, no, that's also definitely, as y'all know, not who I am. But this stuff for me is crucial to remind people. It's part of why I started doing this, you know, once a month, kind of like my own copy of Positive Leftist News, which, by the way, go subscribe to their channel. And, you know, I'm hoping that their stories are going to be completely different from mine. So that's even more positive news that we're getting at home and abroad from around the world. Because it is really important, right, to recognize that, yeah, there's a lot of bad going on and we need to, you know, accept that and fight back against it. But to also find and celebrate the wins that we get because otherwise we're not going to have the energy forever right to fight back against injustice because it's going to get just too heavy and too oppressive and you're going to need to take breaks or you're going to have an actual breakdown or you're going to become incredibly clinically depressed or something like that right like there's so many different things that can go wrong if all you have is the bad and none of the good and i know that march was a very rough month for probably all of us and so pointing out stuff that more people maybe didn't hear about i'm hoping people will take this and like you know find it energizing in some way to continue forward and already we're in april and there's already been some pretty good positive news developments here in april as well so you know we are still getting victory so you know this fight can be won but unfortunately it's a really long brutal fight and every now and then you need that good little morale boost and i hope that people have gotten that today but the fact that all these stories were probably not really mentioned or trending by the media or only trending for like a day or two and haven't really entered public consciousness that's kind of a problem especially when we have some really good news that is clearly happening clearly sign of like bigger trends in terms of labor and also potentially finding ways to really meaningfully work towards ending the pandemic and i didn't hear about any of this from mainstream media or from right-wing media or much media in general and that's a problem and that's what's bothering me today